Well, in a moment, Wayne is going to come and bring a teaching from the scriptures. I'm going to read a few Bible readings this morning before he comes. So we're going to have the text on the screen so you can follow along. We're going to four different places in the scriptures. Follow along with me as we read. Beginning from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 7. It says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Now 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And towards the end of this letter he says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. Another letter that Paul wrote was to the church, the Colossians, and reading from Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He says to them, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning. Supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And our final reading before Wayne comes to teach us. Jesus speaking to his disciples. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. And he says, So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Thanks, Wayne. Thanks very much, Jason. Good morning, everybody. Great to see you all. Uh, This morning we want to talk about core strength and stability. I've been practicing my planking, been working out with my sit-ups, so I thought I'd not show you anything. Um, I wouldn't want to distract you, you know, and there's some men that I wouldn't want to shame. Um, Hey, come on guys, let's go, let's get, we can do this fellas, come on, you know, the old... um, uh, hot bod or dad bod? <laughs> I'm like, does there have to be a difference? So we want to talk about uh, core strength, stability. 
because uh, we have to become stronger and stronger people. And I don't just mean in the physical sense, clearly. I'm talking about as a collective and I'm talking about us as individuals. We have to have a core strength. And the, and the thing that we know physiologically is that when a person has a strong core, that's this central bit of our beings with good back muscles, good tummy muscles, all that, that we're able to be strong, hold ourselves upright, and we're able to be stable when, we're, when things are tossed around. Right? So we need to do that in, in our spirit as well. We want to be people who have a strength in our spirit, a stability in our spirit, that we're not tossed around uh, when the circumstances of life come, but we've got a, a stability and a strength that enables us to stay upright. How many of you uh, heard, have heard of Brother Yun? Most of you have. So for those of you that don't, he was imprisoned and tortured uh, th- on three different occasions by the Chinese government because of his faith in Jesus. And even when he was in prison, he was leading prison guards and other prisoners to Jesus. And so eventually they gave up throwing him in prison and torturing him. And if you've read his book, The Heavenly Man, you know it's a brutal story. They exiled him to Germany. <clears throat> and in his biography, The Heavenly Man, he is quoted as saying that God has used China's government for his own purposes, moulding and shaping his children as he sees fit. Isn't that a big statement? This man's been in and out of prison, beaten, tortured on three different occasions for various lengths. His escape from prison is quite miraculous and he says God has used the Chinese government for his own purposes, moulding and shaping God's children as he sees fit. And he said, instead of focusing our prayers against any political system, we pray that regardless of what happens to us, we'll be pleasing to God. Don't pray for the persecution to stop. We shouldn't pray for a lighter load to carry, but a stronger back to endure. Then the world will see that God is with us, empowering us to live in a way that reflects his love and power. He says, this is true freedom. People, this is what we are called to pursue. We're called to be people who have an inner strength because we are strengthened in Christ. This is Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3. um, that He says we'll be strengthened, we'll be rooted, we'll be grounded in the love of God. We'll be anchored in in who God is and what he says about us. Uh, So this man who is thrown in and out of prison and tortured and brutally beaten, his... His message to those of us in the West is don't pray for the persecution to stop. So even as we think about our own context and we anticipate some of the things that are coming towards us, we're not praying for a a lighter load, but a stronger back to endure. That we be people have have core strength and stability. Uh, Benji Nunes is one of the leaders at the House of Prayer in Kansas City. He uh, gave a great message, uh, I think it was last year, it might have been the year before, and he was calling his generation, he's a young generation leader, and he was saying, we need to be praying and saying, God, widen our shoulders, widen our shoulders so that we can bear the load, so that we can take the load of those who have gone before us, 
We can step in and we can take the load and carry it for our generation, for your purposes to be fulfilled. And so I want to, I want to encourage you to pursue that. I know that some of you are facing really pressurized circumstances and situations. I face them. Julie and I have faced incredible things, pressures and trials. And the thing we've learned is to say, we, we do ask God's release, obviously, but we also say, Lord, strengthen us. Strengthen us in this time. And God answers, and he does. So we're not looking for a way of escape necessarily. We're looking for that, that we will be strengthened. Our core being will be strengthened and we'll have a stability to stand strong for Christ and because of Christ in all that comes towards us. Parents, this is something so important to teach your children. And I'll say more about that when I speak to the men at FCC dads in a couple of weeks. So... We all need to strength, to develop this greater core strength and stability. Now, particularly because we need, to, we need to be rooted and grounded in who God is. Things are shifting all around about us. Our culture is shifting. And even in, in the church, big, big C, culture is shifting. And we ought not to be surprised or shocked that there are differences in the church. There are many differences within local congregations. There's a list behind me. There are major differences between denominations. And one of the things we have to do is know, how do we navigate this? Because it's how do we hold our heart towards someone else in the church who has a different perspective on something to me? There's a whole list up there of all kinds of things that people have differences about. And even within this congregation... There are things that we would differ on. But how do we hold our heart from in the, how do we carry ourselves, our heart towards a person that we hold something different to? That's why I love marriage. I'm a big fan of marriage. Godly marriage, a man and a woman being cemented together, glued together, for life, as God intended. Because you have to learn to carry your heart with someone you have a difference with. And someone who thinks differently to you. And it does no good, does it? Husbands, wives, does no good to look at them and go, why can't you be more like me? Why can't you think like me? It's because I'm not you. So learning to carry our heart and learning to decide what are, the, what are the hills to die on, collectively speaking. You know, what are the things to really go to the, to the wall on that really matter? And what are the things that, that aren't so important? You've got to navigate that. We have to learn to do the same thing in the church. So one of the most important things uh, is to be a, a Berean. Now, for those of you not sure, the Bereans received the message, as Paul said, with great eagerness, and they examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So cultivating a heart that's a Berean heart, 
being someone who's in the scriptures every day. So we, we touched on this last week for those of you in the room and watching on web stream, but just to say it again, we want to examine the scriptures every day to see if what we're being taught and see if what's being sung and see if what's being blogged about and vlogged about and all the other acronyms you need. But just to say, you've got to be in the scriptures every day to know whether it's true or not. You want to be in the Bible every day. Do you know that Bible every day spells bed? It doesn't really spell bed, but it's B-E-D. So you want to be in bed. You want to be in the Bible, Bible every day, B-E-D. Okay. So, look, key thing is, and many of you are already doing this, but it's, it's, some, it's one of these things. You can kind of drift. You can get out of rhythm and out of thoughts. You need to have a set time every day. You need to have a set place every day and you need to have a Bible reading plan and a prayer list of people and issues, things you want to have a conversation with God about. A set time, a set place and a plan because if you just turn up, you'll be like, I'm not sure what to do and you'll do that for one, two days and then you're like, this is not worth it. I'm not doing this anymore. But if you have a set time, a set place and a plan... You do it. Now, if you're thinking, oh, how do you make a plan, Wayne? Well, here you go. Here's a simple plan. You ready? This is going to blow your minds. Do you know that there are 150 Psalms, there are 31 Proverbs, and there are 89 chapters in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. There are 365 days in the year. So if you read a Psalm a day, a Proverb a day, and a chapter of the Gospels a day, You'll get through the book of Psalms twice in a year. You'll get through Proverbs 10 times and you'll get through all four Gospels four times. Simple. Now, you do that for three years in a row. Your understanding of who Jesus is from the Gospels will be exponential. Your understanding of the character of God and how to process emotions from the Psalms will, will be off the charts. And wisdom will grow in your heart because Proverbs is chock full of simple wisdom. Parents, reading Proverbs around the dinner table will give your children wisdom. A chapter of Proverbs every day around the dinner table will give them wisdom and it will help you grow in wisdom as well. So that's a simple plan to cultivate this lifelong practice like you have a plan. Now, I've had different plans over the course of, of my life. Uh, there was a period of time where I was reading the Bible from beginning to end. I think I did that for th- four or five years in a row. And that's three chapters a day. Started Genesis 1, Revelation 22, you're going to get through. Three chapters a day, you read it. And you begin to re- do that. By about year three, you're beginning to notice much more of how all the story was fitting together. Begin to see, oh, hang on a minute, this here, that reference, that's... That's picked up that thought there. And you begin to see this wonderful tapestry. But it's because you're immersed in it, because you're doing it on a daily basis. Look, if you miss a day, pick it up. Just keep going. The most important thing is don't give up. Keep going and have a plan. This is about strengthening your core and giving you a stability in your spirit that's going to enable you to travel through life. Anchored, rooted and grounded. In Acts chapter 11, when Paul... Uh, he's sorry Luke is writing and he talks about the followers of Jesus were first called Christians in the city of Antioch 
That's the first time that they were called Christians. They were called Christ-like ones because it's like they're following the way of Jesus. They're like Christ. So that's what the name that was given to them. It was almost a pejorative name, almost a put-down. But see, it stuck. And so from then on, people began to be not followers of Jesus, but be called Christians. Well, later on, we began to separate that and we began to say, are you you had Roman Catholics and Protestants. And there are some people who go, well, um, I don't know whether I want to be this or that or Christian. I don't know if I want to be Protestant or Christian. I don't know if I want to be Roman Catholic or Christian. As if there's some, some artificial divide. Now, there are some differences. But then we began to say, well, now, no, it's not. you have to be a born-again Christian. And then a little later on, we nodded added another uh, word into it. We said, you've got to be born again, immersed Christians, baptized by immersion. And then we said, you've got to be spirit-filled, immersed, born again Christians. And now the acronyms, the words just keep on going. All these qualifiers. Because instead of it being about Jesus, you see, when it first began, it was just, you look and sound like Jesus. Acts 4.13 tells us that the people said, we could see that they'd been with Jesus. So that's the defining thing about a Christian. It's not what church you go to. It's not anything. It's about, do I see Jesus in you? That's the question I'm asking myself almost every day. Do people see Jesus in me? Do people hear Jesus speaking when I speak? When they look at what I've written, when they look at my behavior, my attitudes... The attitudes I carry into a room, I might not say anything, but does my attitude speak of Jesus, show Jesus to people? So that's the question. Within, within the world, there's a cultural push, it's, and it's a, what, they call, what I'm calling, it's a tribal cultural push. And I don't mean it in, in the way that um, it might be construed. It means what tribe do you belong to? Now, throughout the world, there are ethnic tribes that people belong to. But even in in, uh, Western democracies, people like find your tribe. And it's even become a pretty common language in some streams of the body of Christ. It's find your tribe. Now, as a Berean, studying the scriptures, you're examining that to say, is that what the scriptures say? Do the scriptures say find your tribe? And the answer is no, the scriptures don't say that. So again, just because it's in the Christian culture doesn't mean we take it on board because we're Bereans, we examine it against the scriptures to see if it's really true. And we go, no, I'm not called to find my tribe, I'm called to find Christ. I'm called to define myself as someone who is in Christ and becoming like Christ. That's what I'm looking for. I want to belong to Christ's tribe. There is no other tribe in the scriptures that we are called to belong to. We're called to belong to his tribe. So now this is what Paul prays in his prayer in Philippians 1, 9 to 11. And he comes and he's praying for the Philippian church. We pray this regularly in our prayer room. It's one of the apostolic prayers. I pray that your love will overflow more and more. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters. 
so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this is what will bring much glory and praise to God. This is what he's praying. This is what we are praying. This is the thing about praying Paul's apostolic prayers repetitively as we do because it builds something in us. It aligns our hearts and our language with God's purposes and intentions. We, and it also just means that blokes like me don't have to think up what to say because we run out of words. We're like, I just use Paul's prayer. And at the end, I'm going to invite you to pray that prayer with me at the end this morning. So Paul, the core thing is when we're navigating differences, it's, it's we want to be people whose hearts are overflowing with love even for for people we disagree with, love for our enemies, all of these things that Jesus taught us, Jesus modelled, and Jesus said, this command I give you, you are to love one another as I have loved you. And you see, when you put Jesus as the standard, we're all falling short of the standard. But it's, you see, one of my pet peeves has been, and some of you have heard me say this before, uh, and I've been saying it for, for a long time now, um, that so much of the body of Christ has settled for niceness rather than love. We're nice to each other. That's a good thing. I'm not saying stop. But I'm saying that's not the goal. The goal is to love as Christ loves. So it's like, I, it's difficult to talk to some of you. Some of you find it difficult to talk to me. You've got people sitting next to you maybe you find it difficult to talk to. But the, it's not, that's not the issue. The issue is, is love alive in your heart for that person in this congregation that you can see? Is it alive for the, is your heart filled with and overflowing with love for the people that you live with? Do they see the love of God coming through you? That's the question for all of us. So when we come to this thing of navigating differences, a tool that I found very helpful is what we've called circles of absolutes or core. And we've put it up on the screen for you. We find that we need to know where things fit, whether it's a core thing, whether it's an absolute or whether it's an interpretation or a deduction or whether it's an opinion and preference and a cultural norm. This is key, everybody. Now, some of you are familiar with this because we've taught on this before. We're going to unpack it for those of you that it's new. It's so important to, to be when you're having a dialogue and you're pursuing loving one another as Christ loves them, but it's in but in order to navigate some of the differences within a local church and within denominations and all of these, this that's going on, and, and there's more and more people trying to drive wedges into churches and more and more this thing of being my tribe and my tribe, we believe this and we don't talk to that tribe because they believe this, that other thing, right? We want to go, hang on a minute. No, there's core things here which we want to agree on, core things that actually the church has believed since Jesus founded it. 
We go back and we understand from church history right back to the earliest times, right back to when the New Testament was being written. We're evaluating the things that we believe against the Bible. And where we find a discrepancy between what I believe and what the Bible says, I have to wrestle my heart and my mind to align it with what the Bible says. I don't change what the Bible says to fit how I want it to fit or fit how the cultural narrative is going because the cultural narrative keeps changing. So when we talk about core, so I have the next slide, we want to talk about, uh, I think there's, there's a few things you want to have in the core thing. Here's some things that I think you want to have in there. Firstly, that the Bible is a unified revelation of God from creation to Christ to new creation. It's one continuous story. It's telling what God is doing. It's revealing what God is like, what God is doing, and where everything is going. It's a unified revelation of God. Another thing we want to have in our core is that God's covenants with Israel are central and continuing. God has not abandoned them. Now, the reason why I say it's so important to have this as in your core is because if you believe God has abandoned his covenants to Israel, which he swore by his own name to be faithful to keep, your salvation has no foundation. If he is not a faithful covenant-keeping God to Israel and going to fulfill his promises to them, just as he said, your hope in his new covenant, which he made with Jewish men in the upper room, if you like, or on the cross, it doesn't matter how you say that, has you got no confidence in his faithfulness. Now, I think that there are people in the body of Christ today who are wobbly on this, and because they're wobbly on God's continuing covenants with Israel, they're wobbly about the sense of his faithfulness to them and fearful. And maybe that's for you today. You're kind of wondering, am I in, am I out? Does God like me, does he not like me? What's this... Right, But when you've anchored it in that reality, God is a covenant-keeping God. He makes promises and he keeps them. He never regret, He never cancels a promise. You're anchored in hope. Number three, Jesus of Nazareth is Israel's Messiah and the world's true Lord. Because Israel was looking for a Messiah. And this, it's a loaded term. It has a lot of meaning. We don't have time to obviously to unpack this morning. But he is Jesus of Nazareth, is Israel's Messiah and the world's true Lord. There's no other Lord of this world other than Jesus, the exalted one, the one who was crucified, resurrected, ascended, and sits at the right hand of the Father. Number four, Jesus is God's chosen king who will rule the world from Jerusalem. That's where the story goes. Jesus rules the world from Jerusalem. So that's a core thing. That's where it's going. And we are to be conformed to Christ is, is number five in, my, in the things that I believe you should have as your core. And what I mean by being conformed to Christ is what I was saying before. It's about becoming like Jesus, your speech, your attitudes and actions. That's the, that's the proof that I'm in Christ and Christ is in me as the scriptures say. And all the time we're anchored in this reality that we want to have be people who've got the great commandment in first place, right? Imagine if we didn't use the term born again, spirit filled, water baptized Christian. Imagine if we just said great commandment Christian. I'm a great commandment Christian. Now, you shouldn't have to do that because it, it, 
you know, you shouldn't need something. But if you want to have a descriptor, that's what you want to hold up. I'm a person who's loving God with all my heart, soul, mind and strength. I'm someone who's after loving people the way that Jesus loved them, fulfilling that new commandment. That's where I'm going. That's where I want to be about. So when we come to interpretations then, what we're doing is, so we're making, we've gone from our core circle into our next one, which is interpretations. So an interpretation is when we read a Bible verse or verses and we say, now this is what it means. We're interpreting what it means. And this is where, this is where you start to begin to get some differences within churches, local congregations and within denominations and all those kind of things. And that's happened throughout history. So we're saying things like, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1.1, and that means God started everything. That's what that verse means. Or, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, which is John 1.29. That means John is declaring, John the Baptist is declaring that Jesus is God's chosen one to deal with human sin. That's what that means. We're clear on that. Then the next circle add is deductions. So this is, a, this is where we've looked at a, a range of verses across the scriptures and collection of interpretations on the same subject and we reach a conclusion that's consistent with all of those verses and the character of God. It's very important. If you, you can't disconnect the character of God from how you are interpreting and looking at scripture. So, for example, when we examine Genesis to Revelation, we conclude that the Bible endorses women preaching and functioning as leaders, except if they lack character and competency or their leadership is culturally inappropriate. And the same applies to men also. It always has. The same has always applied to men. It's about character and competency or gifting, all those things. So that's, that's our deduction. We go on that. Now, there's, there's a, but there's a range of how people interpret what women can and can't do. But there's, I'm just saying that's an example of a deduction. We've looked at the scriptures. We've looked from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation. We haven't just cherry-picked out a couple of verses that support what we want to believe. We've been Berean. We've examined them from beginning to end, and we've concluded this. So then the next circle out is our opinions and our preferences and our cultural norms. And these are often difficult to identify because we just assume that they're true and we've not consciously examined them. But when we pull them out, we find that often they have little or no biblical support, but they're just so normal to us that we think almost everyone in the church, capital C, will think exactly the same way I do. So here's some examples. Equating social justice with biblical justice. That's one of the cultural norms that's going on in the body of Christ. People are hearing the word justice used in, our, used in the wider uh, society, social justice, and they're reading verses in the Bible about justice. And going, oh, this must be that. No, it's not. When you actually look at what the scriptures say about justice, it's a very different story to the social justice movement. But if you're not examining that, it can seem normal. You can jump on the social justice bandwagon in our culture and go, well, this is a good thing. It's like, maybe, but maybe we want to compare it, be Berean and have a look against the scriptures. What about wearing immodest clothing, right? Are we thinking about modesty? See, the scriptures call us to modesty. But if we're just taking all of our cues about how to dress from our culture and what they define as modesty, we won't be. So, but it just seems so normal because that's, that's what's available in the shops. 
And it's hard to find things that aren't immodest. Gender as a social construct is one of the things that's just becoming a cultural norm. But again, being Berean, going to the scriptures, we're like, no, it's not. God created men and women. He set that. Same-sex marriage, another one. Our cultures normalize that. Some people in the, body, in the church wanting to normalize that. Love is love. Love is defined by God, not our culture. We're Bereans. Marriage is defined by God, not our culture. Anthropomorphic global warming. That's huge in our culture, in our society. But we want to go, is, is man really in charge of the planet? A human, we are required to be stewards. Yes, I agree. Let me just throw a little bomb in here in case you need it, in case you're not awake. Every time a volcano goes off, there's more carbon that goes in the air than for hundreds of years. So you think about that volcano that's been erupting on that island, I forget where it is, for the last four weeks. The amount of carbon that that's been shooting up into the atmosphere absolutely dwarfs what we are doing. I'll leave that there. You can, you can do the research on it. So, but that story is not told. But anyway, I'm not saying be good, we want to be good stewards because we understand we want to be that. But anthropomorphic global warming, we want to examine that against what the scriptures say. And of course, then we've got things like Bible translations, songs we like to sing, the music we like to hear, you know. It's, you know, we don't get many people who prefer pipe organs in our services. Um, that might be a shock to you. There's no plans to install a pipe organ here. Uh, but there are places where you can go and you can sing to a pipe organ played well. Um, one of the most interesting, ex- <laughs> one of the most interesting experiences that we had when we were living in the United States was going to a church that had a, had a handbell choir. I did not know such a thing existed before I went. We went to this church on this Sunday, and the handbell choir did an item. And if you're not sure what that is, I'm sure you can Google it and find out. So, but to say that. We have to have a handbell choir or even for us to say to other people, if you haven't got guitars, if you haven't got a synth, if you haven't got drums, you're not worshipping properly. We would never do that because this is a preference. It's a cultural norm. Okay, so if we confuse what goes in which circle, we will, cause, we will have conflict. If you're having a conversation with someone and you've got a difference about something, you want to ask yourself, what circle am I thinking in? And perhaps you want to ask yourself, what circle have they got this in? Because you might go, well, hang on, this is a cultural norm or a preference, or this is a deduction. But if the person you're talking to has got it in their core circle, you go, oh, okay, we need to just sort of back out of this a little bit because we're, not, we're talking from different circles. Is it a core issue? Is it an interpretation? Is it a deduction? Or is it a personal preference? Because again, what we're after is being people who have got a core strength and stability. That we're anchored. And so people can be coming at us and pushing backwards and forwards on us. 
but we are anchored and stable. Here's one that we have had regularly for the last uh, 12 years. You're the church that doesn't do Christmas. Now, which circle is Christmas in? We have to say, what's Christmas? What do you mean by Christmas? You have to, you have to answer that question. And for those of you who, who are new into new life, we aligned when we celebrate the work of Christ with the biblical calendar. And we believe the evidence for Jesus being born on December 25th is really small. And we think the biblical festivals point much more clearly to his birth being in the time when we remember God with us. Shelters season. So we understood that. So we aligned when we celebrate the birth of Christ to shelters. Because it also aligns with when we think he will return as well. And it will follow the pattern of trumpets, day of atonement, shelters, his his return. So it's telling the story. So when, if you are new into our church this year, it's great to have you. If your expectations are that there's some huge production coming in December, uh, you'll be relieved to know there isn't. We will celebrate Jesus. We celebrate Jesus all week, every week when we get together. And we have just had our huge shelters celebration, anticipating, giving thanks for God with us in the past and the present and anticipating the future and the new Jerusalem coming and his resurrection and reign over the whole earth. That's what we're, so we're looking forward to celebrating that. So, but we do get this uh, thing coming at us. We still get it. It's less now. And so if you hear someone say, oh, you go to that church that doesn't do Christmas. Uh, go, oh, hang on. We're talking circles here. Not talking in circles, but... We're going, you need to say, tell me what you mean by what we don't do Christmas. You just ask the question. Don't need to be defensive. You just say, what do you mean by that? And let them unpack that for you. And then you say, here's what we do do. Here's how we do celebrate Christ. Here's how we do remember his his first advent and his second advent. Advent's just a fancy word for coming. We want to be people who have got the great commandment in first place. So again, we're asking this. So we're having a conflict with another Christian and we want to, and we want to be asking ourselves, we want to be having this internal dialogue. Have I got the great commandment in first place? Am I, really, am I loving God with all my heart, soul, mind and strength? And am I am loving this person like Christ? And am I demonstrating that I really am Jesus' disciple? They're the questions I want to be asking myself and evaluating myself against. With all these differences that are going on, we want to be clear about what's in the core what are core things that have been true for the church since it was birthed? That are upheld by the scriptures, not human traditions, but scripture. 
core things. We want to be Bereans. We want to be examining things and seeing if they really are in the scriptures. And then we want to be clear about what's an interpretation and what's a deduction and what's a personal preference so that we can navigate and so that our heart can continue to grow in love with God and people. And that's where I want to pray and close this morning. I'm just going to invite you to stand. And we've put the words of Paul's prayer from Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. And I want to invite you to pray this with me as we close this morning. Father, I pray that my love will overflow more and more and that I will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding for I want to understand what really matters so that I may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May I always be filled with the fruit of my salvation, the righteous character produced in my life by Jesus Christ, For this will bring much glory and praise to God. Amen. Amen.